0: Hi, you're listening to Sermons, Bible Studies, and Training. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a moment, we're going to be sharing today's message. But before we do, let me invite you to do two quick things. First of all, stop by my website, DesireJesus.com, to grab a free copy of my book, The Mind of Christ. I think you'll really enjoy it. Again, you can find it at DesireJesus.com. And my second request is this. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, would you be willing to give this show a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? Basically, they do a good job promoting the shows that get reviews, but if your show doesn't get reviews, it gets buried in their system. So your help is greatly appreciated. If you're using the Apple Podcasts app, you can review it right from the app. And again, your help is certainly appreciated as we seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible. Now let's take a listen to today's message. All right. Well, over the past group of weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Proverbs, and we've been talking about this idea of walking in wisdom, what it looks like to grow in godliness, avoid costly mistakes, get ahead in life, these are all things, very practical things, that are brought up all throughout the book of Proverbs, and it's extremely helpful information. And even as we look at it today, one of the things that you're going to notice as we work our way through this chapter, and I'll even just tell you ahead of time, there's a lot of content in this chapter. This is one of the sections of Proverbs that uh, I, I, you know, even as I was preparing this week, I think, all right, Proverbs 11 has a lot of things in it. I don't know if anyone read ahead. But really, right till we get up to chapter 22, there's a lot of different things mentioned in each chapter. So those of you that, that construct sermons or those of you that ever think about doing some sermon prep, I'll tell you what, the book of Proverbs will give you a challenge once you get past the first nine chapters until you get up to maybe chapter 23. It's, um, it, it's, it's a very... Um, challenging in a good way type of, of, of uh, sermon prep, I would say, even for myself. But one of the things that when you, when you go through chapter 11 in particular, where we're at today, you notice that it starts us in a spot and then works us to a related spot. And so this morning we're talking about, the, we're trying to answer this question, will your integrity fuel your generosity? Now, let, let me say this even before we dig into the scripture. So the book of Proverbs, it's filled with good counsel, it's filled with good help. If you've ever had the opportunity to read it through, you already know that. But what you see throughout the book of Proverbs is that the Lord reveals his heart to us, he reveals his mind to us. What he's trying to do is he's trying to steer us down the correct path. He's trying to steer us down the right path. It's a very practical book. I'm a practical person, so I like practical information. And the book of Proverbs is a practical book. It's one of those portions of Scripture that you could look at as you read through the book and realize, all right, I see direct application to my life. I want to implement this in my life. I want to stay motivated to continue to follow this counsel. But I will say this. The content of this book will only truly be experienced and lived out by those who couple this information... With genuine faith in the Lord. If we try and do any of this in our own strength, or if we try and do any of this in our own wisdom, we actually miss the point of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is trying to teach us that we ought to walk in the fear of the Lord, genuine trust, genuine reverence, genuine love for the Lord. And absent of that, we actually miss the point of the wisdom that he's offering to us. Now, like I said, Proverbs chapter 11, as we work our way through it, it deals with many different subjects. So there's lots of things that will come up in the portions that we look at today. And you're going to see some contrasts as well. You'll see contrasts between wisdom and folly. You'll see contrasts between giving and taking. We're going to land on that in a little bit. You'll see contrasts between righteousness and wickedness. And as we work our way through this chapter today, I hope that at least two concepts in particular will catch your eye. They certainly catch my eye as I take some time going through this chapter, and that's this, integrity and generosity. I think you see, you see the integrity portion right at the beginning, and then it works us all the way toward the concept of generosity as we get to the end of the chapter. But again, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're asking the question today, will your integrity fuel your generosity? So before we actually dig into the scripture, let me have a word of prayer for us. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that you give to us to be able to carve out some time to look at your word and to study it together and to grow in our relationship with you as a result of it. Lord, we're thankful that you've given us access to your word. We know that there are many people in this world who do not have access to your word like we do, but since you've given us access to it, we pray that we would read it and study it and grow from it. And when you challenge us or you convict our hearts from it, we pray that we would listen to your voice of conviction and challenge as your Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so today, Lord, as we look at Proverbs 11 and as we talk about issues related to integrity and generosity and some of the other things that you bring up in this chapter, we pray that these would be things that would hit us the right way, that they would hit our minds and hit our ears and hit our hearts the right way so that we would desire to actually live these things out as you empower us to do so. Thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege to be able to spend some time together right now looking at these things. And we pray for your blessing to be upon the study of your word today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, the beginning of the chapter here, it starts us off with this idea of integrity. And so I'm going to read a few verses to get us started here. In just a moment, I'll read verses 1 through 4. Of Proverbs 11, but I'll say this. One of the things that you'll notice as we read these verses together is that it teaches us that integrity will not lead you down a destructive path. You'll notice this right away. Integrity does not lead a person down a a destructive path. Look at what it says starting in verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 11. It says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Let's pause there for just a moment. So when you read throughout the scriptures, one of the things that you'll notice right away is that the concept of integrity clearly matters to the Lord. And he actually shows us that it matters to him in a variety of ways. So when you're reading through the word of God, you'll see the subject of integrity brought up through direct teaching. So there'll be direct moments where the Lord encourages us to walk in integrity. But he'll also bring it up through historical stories. And then one additional example that's more powerful than all of them. And that's his example, the example of Jesus Christ himself, the pinnacle of integrity. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to define integrity. I've actually heard several helpful definitions of what integrity means, but I'm going to share with you a practical definition of integrity that I think is particularly helpful, and and it goes like this. Integrity is doing the right thing when somebody is watching and when they aren't. Integrity is doing the right thing when somebody's watching and when they aren't. Because I think we all know that there are seasons of our life where we've done the right thing when someone is watching and then when they're not watching maybe not as much do you ever observe your own behavior when your boss walks into the room does your does your posture change at all does your activity ever change you know when 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 the boss walks in the room you know sometimes sometimes for many of us maybe it does right well integrity is wa- is doing the same thing when someone's watching and when we're alone And for us as believers, we have an additional sense of accountability in knowing that the Lord is always watching. Your life and my life, our lives are just laid bare before the Lord. The Lord is always watching. And so you have Solomon here in these opening verses of Proverbs 11. He's speaking about things like righteousness. He's speaking about things like integrity. And he tells us, some practical ways that the Lord likes to see integrity actually exercised or utilized in day-to-day life. And some of the examples that he gives us here are these. He says, the Lord delights in just weights. What's, a, what's the concept of that? Well, think about you know, the marketplace that would exist during Solomon's time. And you would have some people who would use unjust weights because they didn't want to give you as much product as you had actually paid for, as much grain or something else else of that nature. And so they, they would use unjust weights. And how could you prove it? Usually it would be very difficult to prove. So you had to trust the merchant. And Solomon is, is telling us that the Lord wants to see integrity, even in the marketplace. He wants to see integrity in that you use just weights. He also tells us here that, that part of integrity goes along with humility, so that the Lord values humility. He admonishes us to keep our way straight. He admonishes us to walk in righteousness. It all goes hand in hand. And Solomon starts off this chapter by describing those things and giving us some pictures there. But he also gives us some concepts that show us the opposite, what it's like to not live with integrity, what it's like to try and live absent of a mindset where the Lord is very much on on a person's mind. And so he says that that, uh, those that, that choose the opposite do things like this. They keep false balances. They walk in pride. They take a crooked path and they put their trust in riches. And each of those examples are given to us as a contrast here so that we would understand the way of righteousness, which ultimately for us is following Jesus Christ, and the way of wickedness. And the Lord exposes the way of wickedness and and shows us don't take this path. It's a destructive path. Integrity is not going to lead you down a destructive path. And so the Lord asks us to walk with the integrity ultimately of Christ. And so During the course of Christ's earthly ministry, when you observe what Christ came to do and what Christ demonstrated to us during that period of time, he demonstrated to us what it looks like to live with humble integrity. So think about the things that Christ said and the things that Christ did during the course of his earthly ministry. There weren't two versions of Jesus. The same version of Jesus that was in front of a large group of thousands was also the same version of Jesus that would be sitting down at a table with a small group of people. And so he displayed integrity in both contexts like that, but he also displayed humility along with it. He spoke creation into existence, and yet he was still willing to humble himself enough To serve us. So he walked with integrity. He walked with humility. He ultimately provides for us the greatest example of what that looks like. And one of the things that I think about when I look at a portion of scripture like this and I ask myself the question, all right, how does this ultimately point me to Christ? Because I think that that's the best way to read through the scriptures. As we read through the scriptures, we want to know, how is this pointing me to Jesus? Well, one of the things that I'm reminded of is the fact that Jesus is not asking you or me to do anything that he wasn't willing to demonstrate first. So if he asks you or I to serve, well, keep in mind, he served us first. If he asks us to walk with integrity, he's not asking us to do something that he didn't already do. He walked with integrity. He was willing to humble himself. He was willing to serve. And the godly and righteous traits that you have Solomon describing here in these opening verses, this idea of integrity and the path that integrity is leading us on, ultimately, these are things, these traits, they find their pinnacle in Jesus Christ Christ. Christ is the standard of integrity. Christ is the standard of humility that we should ultimately value and emulate and worship. And so Solomon is starting us off here by thinking or pointing our minds in that direction as the Holy Spirit inspires him to write these things down. But now he's going to take us on a journey through some related concepts as we work our way through Proverbs 11. And he's going to show us how this connects to something else this idea of having hope beyond the moment. Do you have hope? beyond this moment? Think about that just in a personal way. Do you have hope beyond this moment? You can have hope beyond this moment. Solomon brings it up this way when you look at verses 7 and 8 of Proverbs 11. He says this, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble and the wicked walks into it instead. Several days ago, uh, this was actually on Friday, so it was two days ago, I, I officiated for a funeral. And um, it's interesting, you know, I've had conversations with my family members, and they, they assume that probably the hardest aspect of my job as a pastor is to officiate for funerals. But for some reason, I don't consider that the hardest aspect of my job. In fact, one of the things that has kind of clicked in my mind over the past 23 years of doing this is the fact that when someone asks me to do a funeral for for their family member or or even for them, if I know about it, ahead of time, I consider that a great privilege, and it's a great opportunity. And so the family of someone who was part of the church uh, years ago and then moved up to a couple hours north of here, um, the man passed away uh, just a few days ago, and the family asked me if I would officiate for his funeral, and I said, yeah, I'd be happy to officiate for his funeral. And when you're leading a funeral... You know, I guess there's two ways that you could do it. You could not make eye contact with people that are listening when you're officiating, and I guess that's one thing I could do. Um, But I don't do that. I try to make eye contact with people, and I'm trying to actually look at people's faces. And even though that's an emotionally difficult time, it's also a very hopeful time, particularly when the redemption that Christ has offered us is welcomed and celebrated. And so as I was looking around the room, And looking at all the different faces, there were many faces there gathered. The place was actually very full. It was at a funeral home up in Whitehaven. And uh, there was a room here that was all full. And then to my right, there was another room that was full. And then the overflow, imagine this. They they all had to sit right up front with me. The overflow, they're all right up front with me, facing everyone just like I was facing everyone. That reminds a person to get there early, right? You know. (laughs) But they had to sit there with me. So I officiated, so I was looking around the room, looking at all the different faces, and obviously, because the man was so well-loved, you see a lot of sadness, you know, you see a lot of, of sorrow, but there was also a lot of hope, and there was a lot of joy. And why was there hope, and why was there joy, even in, in a context like that, the context of a funeral? Well, for us as believers in Jesus Christ, our hope isn't anchored into something that's momentary. Our hope is anchored in Jesus Christ, who is our unchanging God. And when you approach even a season like that, a season that's difficult, a season that's challenging, with hope that's genuinely anchored in Jesus Christ, it makes a true difference in your life and in my life. And in fact, when you look at what Solomon says here in verses seven and eight, he's actually trying to show us the, you know, in part the opposite, you know, what it looks like to not have that kind of hope that you and I enjoy, the kind of hope that I saw the other day, the kind of hope that that we possess through Christ. Solomon tells us that when the wicked die, They don't have the hope that we as believers possess. Those who reject the Lord, he he reveals to us here, what they're ultimately doing is they're placing their hope in earthly and transient things. So because they spent their life struggling to think about things from an eternal perspective, they usually remain caught up in a moment. And they end up putting their greatest hope in things like their riches, or their government, or their status, or their abilities. But what sense does it make to place your greatest hope in something that can change? You ever think about that? Why put your greatest hope in something that can change or be taken away from us? Why would we anchor our hope to something that can be taken from us? For those of us who know Jesus Christ, we have hope beyond the moment because our hope is not anchored to something that can be changed or taken away. Scripture tells us that God does not change. Scripture tells us, you know, Jesus said he's going to be with us always. Our hope is anchored in his unchanging and powerful nature. Scripture even tells us that the Lord holds us securely in his hands. And he teaches us not to place our hope and not to place our trust in things that can change or be taken away. Now, admittedly, all of us from time to time put some level of hope in things that can change And be taken away. And every time I ever do that, even in small ways, I end up disappointed because what happens? The things that can change do, and the things that can be taken away eventually get taken away. And so it's helpful even for us as believers to look at the example that Solomon is giving us here of what it's like for those who ultimately place their ultimate trust in things that can change and be taken away because it doesn't end well. And since it doesn't end well for them, why should we as believers ever adopt a mindset that reflects something that doesn't end well? We have hope beyond the moment. We have hope in Jesus Christ. He invites us to approach life with a hope and a confidence that surpasses the shaky beliefs of those who just continue in their lost state. He invites us to walk with him with confidence. He invites us to ultimately experience joy because of what he has facilitated on our behalf, and we know that he doesn't change. And even though your circumstances and my circumstances will change continually, My hope is not in my circumstances. Your hope is not in your circumstances. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We can have hope beyond this moment. And now Solomon transitions the thought a little bit further. And when he gets into verses 9 and 12, he shows us that one of the things that kind of comes out of this hope is rejoicing. This idea of expressing joy, rejoicing. Look at what he says in verses 9 through 12 of Proverbs chapter 11. It says this, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. And then he says in verse 12, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. And I think what he's showing us in, those, in that group of verses is that, is that it's a privilege to rejoice in righteousness, to use our mouths to give praise to the Lord in the midst of, of the righteousness that He's facilitating among His people. Very recently, a friend of mine, she actually decided to buy her first house. We had the opportunity to go through that experience, some of you. <clears throat> that could be a wonderful experience. It's funny. When you buy a house, it goes like this. "Oh, I'm so excited. And then soon after that, you do all the paperwork you need to do, and then you have the inspections you need to have done, and you're like, oh, this is terrible. And then it gets so bad that you're like, you know, I don't even know if this is going to close. I think I should just abandon this. And you're getting just about ready to give up, and then you get a call from your mortgage company, and they say, oh, no, we can close on this day. You're all good. And then you start to feel hope again, and then by the time you actually get into the house, what happens? You're just so exhausted, and you realize, now I have to move all my stuff. And now I have to paint this room. And now I have to replace this floor. And now something is leaking. And what sound? and then the first few weeks that you spend in the house, what do you do? You hear every noise it makes that you're, you're just not used to hearing yet. So why do we even do that? Let's just live in tents, you know? Like, why do we torture ourselves? Well, a, a friend of mine, she just bought her first house. In fact, she, she didn't even close on it yet. This is her first house. Place is beautiful. Now, her background is this. She dealt with a lot of adversity For many, many years in all sorts of areas. But now it's kind of cool to see because she's transitioning into a brand new season of life. And she has a lot of reason to be optimistic because there's a lot of good things that are taking place. But as a child, she dealt with a lot of pain in her family, a lot of feelings of of just being unloved. Uh, Frequently, I think she felt abandoned. And she has admitted to a group of us recently, she admitted this to us, that as an adult, She still carries some of that with her, and she frequently wonders why anyone would choose to be her friend in a genuine way, even as an adult. She just scratches her head at it. She she thinks that that if some, like, why would anyone choose to be her friend? You know, she just can't, she can't wrap her mind around that. Uh, She's also surprised when anyone values what she does or what she's accomplished. And so she thinks about these things a lot. Well, she's admitted that to some of us, and, and now, like I said, As she's buying this house, she's got some transitional things taking place in her life, and so she decided to post a picture of it online. She took the risk. I've known about it for a few weeks, but just the other day she posted a picture of it online. The place is beautiful, and uh, well within her budget. I don't know how she got such a good deal on such a nice house, and to her surprise, hundreds of people, have now gone out of their way to reach out to her, to let, the, to let her know that they're rooting for her, that they're so proud of her, that they're excited to see the good things that are taking place in her life. And I was thinking about that in looking at what Solomon talks about, about the fact that it's a privilege to rejoice in righteousness because she's experiencing people celebrating the blessings that the Lord is giving to her. And it's still hard for her to wrap her mind around. And Solomon tells us that that's a principle that the Lord facilitates, that, that, that we are prodded by the Lord to ultimately rejoice in righteousness, and that it's a privilege to do so, to experience that joy with other people. And so he talks about this in a similar way here in Proverbs chapter 11, the fact that, it, that, it's, that a similar thing happens in the lives of those who practice righteousness, that people rejoice with them, that people share their joy, that they, that they join them in their joy. And so Solomon tells us here that when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices and the city is exalted. seems to just have this positive effect on everybody. The city rejoices and the city is exalted. Everybody feels lifted up right along with them. But that stands in stark contrast to the activities of the godless and the wicked. And so he makes that contrast here. Godless men, they destroy their neighbors. They're not building people up. They're destroying people. They use their words to cut people down. They use their words to belittle people. They attempt to bring harm to others, and I think that they attempt to do this for a very specific reason. And I want you to think about this concept. Have you ever met somebody in your life that you love and you care about, but you find it a bit challenging to spend time with them because you always feel a little bit worse than you did before spending time with them? Do you have anyone in your life that's like that? Okay, a few of you do. Some of you are very emphatically nodding your head. All right, that was very emphatic. Um, All right, well, think about why some people do that. Isn't it true that there are some people in your life and, and in my life that are so insecure that they think that the only way they can make themselves feel better is to cut down whoever is around them so that even in an artificial way, they feel at least higher than those who are around them because they've successfully cut those people down. And once they cut those people down, then they feel like, okay, now I'm on some level of a pedestal, and because I did that, for the moment, I feel good. I feel like I'm higher than the people around me. And so they make that a pattern. They make that a practice. I think that's exactly what Solomon's describing here. He's talking about people who belittle other people. And I always try and get, in my mind, I always think, what would motivate somebody to talk that way to somebody else? Because I think sometimes what we show each other as people at times on the surface that's just a surface thing. I always like to try and think a little bit deeper than that, especially when somebody does something I think is just so out of line. And I think to myself, why would somebody do that? Instead of rejoicing in righteousness, you would use your words to cut somebody down? Well, why are you doing that? I actually think it's one of the greatest evidences of insecurity, personal insecurity in a person's life. If they feel that the only way they can make other, them, themselves feel good is by making other people feel bad. And if there are people in your life that do that, I want you to start telling yourself something. You're in the presence of a very insecure person. And you don't have to internalize whatever they belittle you with. It's probably not true. And even if a part of it is true, they're exaggerating it for effect because they want you to feel low so they feel high. And it's not a healthy thing. And Solomon addresses that kind of concept in this portion of Scripture. And the truth is, you're never really going to feel better. So if you're the insecure person ever that cuts other people down, I don't want to just pretend like none of us is capable of doing that. We could end up doing that too, right? And here's what happens. If you ever try that, if that's a direction you ever try to take your life in, it doesn't work. And what ends up happening is you start to realize, hopefully, as the Lord reveals this to you over time, that you will never feel better by making another person feel worse. Not in any long-term way. Maybe in the moment, if you get a real good zinger in there. But it's not going to make you feel good long-term, because eventually, if you, know, if you know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And eventually, he's going to come around to convict your mind and convict your heart and point you in the direction of truth. And you're never going to feel better in the end for making somebody else feel worse. You're never going to feel better about this idea of crushing the spirit of another brother or another sister. And the more we violate our conscience in that area... And the more we ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit when he's trying to speak to us, the lower we will feel. And so that's why Solomon is trying to caution us not to take our lives in that kind of a direction. Because the opposite happens if we speak with grace. We even talked a little bit about this last week as well, but he brings it up multiple times. I guess it must be important. If we speak with grace, if we go out of our way to lift others up. What, ends up do, what we end up doing is we end up honoring the people that the Lord has blessed us with the privilege to interact with and that's something that ultimately I think that the Lord creates a warmness in our heart about. I think our conscience feels good when we know that we have used our words to bless another person. so we have the option to either belittle somebody or we can rejoice in righteousness and celebrate the good things that the Lord's doing in other people's lives. And that's the contrast you have Solomon showing us in these middle verses. But he's going to transition us here yet again. And he's going to show us something very similar. And I think you'll see the connection here. But he's going to show us here that ultimately kindness... So you have the opportunity to be kind. You have the opportunity to be compassionate. And sometimes we think, all right, is that going to cost me anything? Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But here's the thing. Kindness is not as expensive as you think it is. Kindness is not as expensive as you think it is. Look at what it says in verse 16 down to verse 21. It says, A gracious woman gets honor and violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. So a lot of things I love in that section of verses. I'm going to throw out a question here. I don't even think it's a rational question, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway, just for us to think about for a quick second. But what does kindness cost you? What does it cost to be kind? You know, I think it's a funny question in some respects, and maybe it's not even a logical question, because ultimately, I believe Scripture teaches us that kindness is a net gain, not a net loss. So I don't think of kindness as being so much of an expense. It seems to come back to us many, many times over. So a kind person receives much more in benefit than they incur as an expense. But here Solomon shows us also the opposite. And he tells us that the wicked, what do they do? They defraud. They attempt to earn dishonest wages. Their eyes are glued to the prospect of earthly rewards. But those who walk in the righteousness of Christ, what do they find? They find life. And he even says here, and this this amazes me, that even their children experience great blessings. Blessings. Now, for the past two decades, for the past 20 plus years, I've been a dad. And I got to tell you, you get to a spot very quickly in fatherhood where you find yourself caring more about what benefits your children than you care really even about what benefits yourself. And it's funny to watch that transition happen in your mind. And so I find, like, the majority of the things I find myself praying about are for God's blessing to be upon them. And I've even started to think, you know, what a life, because a few of my friends keep becoming grandfathers. And I think, boy, maybe that's something in, in the cards for me at some point here too, you know. Maybe that's something the Lord has in store for me at some point here too. The idea of being called Grandpa someday, love that idea. I love that idea. You know, to, to have influence without responsibility, <laughs> perfect, right? Perfect. And uh, I have a lot of things planned for that season of my life if the Lord allows me to have it. But one of the things that I think about is, is just the fact that, I mean, those, those kids don't even exist yet, right? They don't even exist yet. But I think to myself, Lord, how wonderful that in a portion of scripture like this, you promise that you would bless those who love you, that you would bless their children, The grandchildren, you know, just this idea of the generations that come from those who trust the Lord, that their children and grandchildren would also experience blessing. What a wonderful thought. That's a comforting thought. That's something I pray about often. And so it's wonderful to be able to look at this portion of scripture and see that that's the type of thing that the Lord shows us, that he shows us. We could take great delight in that. In fact, the scripture says, the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. That's how it phrases it here. The offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Well, where's true deliverance found? How is a person delivered? Well, when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, it tells us that true deliverance is found through knowing Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something that I prayed about before I ever had kids? I don't know if any of you have ever prayed anything like this. I, I wanted to have kids so bad. But I remember praying one day before my wife and I had kids. I was like, Lord, please do not give me any kids if they won't also come to know you. It's like, I don't think my heart can bear it. You know, if I have to wait a little while, fine, I'll wait a little while. But please, I'd rather you give me no kids than than them not eventually know you. And so I know the the way it goes, like sometimes we have to pray for a long time. And maybe some of, the, you know, some of us will have kids that we don't know if they come to know the Lord until later in life, even after we're finished here on this earth. But the point being... I love what it tells us here. It tells us that that it says the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Will be, not might be, not often are. It says the, the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Well, where's true deliverance found? It's found through knowing Jesus Christ. So it's my prayer that the generations that come from me, and I'd encourage you to pray this for yourself as well, that the generations that come from you would truly experience the deliverance that Christ offers through faith. And what has Christ done? He's shown us his kindness so that we would repent and come to faith in him. He's shown like you have you have Solomon here talking about kindness and deliverance, and my mind immediately goes to Christ in those moments because I'm thinking what has Christ done? He's shown us his kindness. And in his kindness, what do we do? We repent and accept the gift of deliverance that he offers. And the Scripture promises that for the children of the righteous as well. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that's worth praying for on behalf of our children. But then the Scripture ends with that last word that I wanted us to be focused on. And I'm going to take a risk to share something in just a few moments that I debated whether to share. I was thinking about it for a while because I thought, this isn't the type of thing that you necessarily are, would typically share the details of. But then I thought, I thought, the Lord knows my heart on this, so I'm going to share the details on this and hope that it's helpful and instructive because it was something that the Lord used to very recently encourage my heart. And so I'm just going to share it with us. But when you look at this last section here, and I'm going to read these verses, verse 23 to, to 31, I think we're being told to let the generous heart of Christ be seen in us. And I just want to give a personal testimony of something that the Lord accomplished in our family's life very recently, and I hope that's okay if I do that. But look at what it says in, in uh, Proverbs 11, starting with verse 23. It says, the desire of the righteous ends only in good. The expectation of the wicked is wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. So think about that. It's like, wait, you're giving freely, yet growing? All the richer, that doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what it says. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Let me pause there for just a second. Isn't it interesting to see all the different ways the Lord illustrates the concept of generosity in these verses? It's like over and over and over again from multiple angles he's illustrating this thought where he's saying, have a generous heart. Reflect my generosity. Look at verse 27. He says, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. And the fool will be a servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? So here we have Proverbs chapter 11. It concludes with multiple examples of biblical generosity they warm my heart to be able to look at these things. And in this passage, you have believers admonished to do things like give freely, lavish blessings upon others, enjoy the blessings that come back to those who practice generosity. That's the pattern that we see here. So give freely, lavish blessings that, that you, you are given the ability to lavish upon others, and then rejoice in the blessings that the Lord brings back into your life. But we're also reminded, never trust your riches. Never trust Riches. It brings us back to that concept we looked, about, looked at just a few minutes ago, this idea of you, don't, you can't trust something that could be taken away. Do you ever have moments? Maybe at the start of the month, right? At the start of the month, it feels like, hey, I've got everything I need. And then by the end of the month, what's it like? I don't feel like I've got everything I need anymore, right? We've all gone through seasons of plenty. We've all gone through seasons of lack. And yet we look at that and we say, all right, so those lean seasons and those plenty seasons I shouldn't really trust either of those. I should trust the Lord, the one who who gives blessings, not the blessings that he gives, right? Our trust isn't in the blessings that the Lord gives. Our trust is in the Lord who blesses. And so there's a very big difference. You want to put your trust in one who doesn't change. You don't put your trust in something that does change. And so here you have all these examples of generosity. Well, I, I have to tell you, one of the things that the Lord's been communicating to my heart repeatedly Over the past 10 plus years, really, at this point, uh, in in a very noticeable way, is that one of the greatest earthly joys that he will allow me to experience is the privilege to be generous with what he entrusts to me. And I didn't always have that really straight in my mind. But I would say over the past 10 years or so, that's become something very clear to me. And so I've kind of tested the Lord on that. And I've realized that one of the most fun and enjoyable experiences I will ever have on this earth is to be generous with what the Lord blesses me with. And so I want to share a personal testimony. And again, um, please understand my heart in sharing this because there's a few things here that the Lord inspired us to do. And I'm not trying to share these things um, as like a credit gaining thing, but more as a gratefulness to the Lord that he allowed us to do something with what he entrusted to us. So here's something that happened to us just a little under two weeks ago. The Lord blessed me in a financial way that I did not see coming. I experienced a surprise financial blessing. That's a good day, right? I opened the mailbox and I experienced a a lovely financial blessing. What had happened was I was asked to lead a training webinar for a group out in Indiana. So that's what I did. And uh, I, I, I led that webinar. I did it from my basement I didn't have to travel anywhere. I did this in my basement. I didn't set a price for doing it. I was willing to do it for free. And they decided to be generous. And they sent me a very generous check. And I was like, this is going to make me like checking the mail again. You know, like if this is, I was like, this is fantastic. And I was like, all right, Lord, well, what, do I, what, what do you want me to do with this? And so the first thing that we did with that was we made a generous donation to the Lord's work through the church. You know, we increased what we gave to the church that week. And I thought, all right, well, what else? Well, I also had lunch with friends midweek, and there were five of us, and I decided that I'd sneak over to that card reader thing that they have on all the tables now, and I just swiped it and I, I paid for everybody's lunch. And I was like, "All right, what else, Lord? What else are we supposed to do?" And uh, someone during that week told us that they had a food need, so our family decided, let's go buy their groceries. This was a blast. Right? Each of these things. I'm like, this is fun. So we bought somebody their groceries. And then somebody in our family had a repair they needed to do to their vehicle. So we contributed to the repair in the vehicle. And we made an extra principal payment on our mortgage. So we were even generous to the bank. Generous to, to everybody, right? And I thought as that week was going on, we were, as, as each of those things were taking place, I thought, this is so fun. This is so fun. Now, not every week is like that, right? Right? But that was a good week, and I felt like the Lord blessed us in a way that we didn't expect. It wasn't an expected thing, but what was fun was to then share the blessing in all the directions that we felt like he was nudging us to share it and not have reserve about it, to just say, you know, if he surprises you once, he's going to surprise, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at this point now if he, if he chooses to surprise us yet again. I have to tell you, since this concept has has gotten squared away straight in my mind over the past 10 years. I've watched him do this more times than I can. I don't even remember all the times he's done this. It's it's starting to not become as much of a surprise as it's just, of course you would do this, Lord. You know, you open the mail and you say, of course, why wouldn't you do this? You always seem to do this. And it's amazing to watch his hand at work. And so if he blesses us, why not share the blessing? Now, here's a question for all of us to wrestle with. I actually already know the answer to this question. I'm going to be a wise guy and ask a question that I already know the exact answer for, right? At least I think I do. Maybe someone will want to challenge me on it. Don't challenge me until the recording stops, though, okay? <laughs> um, what would you do if all of a sudden, like, a million or two million bucks just showed up in your life? What would you do if some of you are chuckling? What would you do... If just, all, just out of the blue, hey, here's a couple million bucks. What would you do? Some of you are already making plans, talking with, with people. It's like, here's what we would do, here's what we would do. Uh, can I suggest that I already think I know what you would do with it? I already know. And you can tell me afterward in the foyer here, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. Here's what I think you'd do. I think you'd be just as generous with that as you're already generous with what you presently have. No more, No less. I think the same mindset you have now would be the same mindset you would have then. So if you're already somebody who is inspired by Christ-centered generosity, I think you would just continue that, no matter what was in the bank account or whatever was in your life. I think you would just be generous. Uh, And if you're not, I think you wouldn't be. I don't think the number even matters. I think it's a mindset. I think it's an expression of faith. And here's where I want us to finish up today. And it's not even so much like a financial thing. I really, I really just want to focus us on the generosity of Christ as we try and tie this all together. Do you ever think about the countless ways that Christ has chosen to be generous to you and to me? I look at all the things that the Lord's brought into my life. You know, I, I look at my family. I look at the friends that he's blessed me with. I look at the opportunities that he gives me. I see abilities or just... Just um, things that you can tell he's been orchestrating. And then in addition to that, time to time he gives us resources. Or, you know, Scripture tells us that we're we're blessed with spiritual gifts so that we could serve other people. Or time that he opens up that we can use to dedicate for something that he calls us to, to dedicate it to. But do you ever think about just the generosity that Christ shows us? You know, and even when you think about what he came to this earth to do, He could have looked at us and said, and I'm tempted to do this sometimes. Sometimes even as a parent, I do this. Sometimes I do this as a friend, as a sibling. Sometimes I'll look at the mess people get themselves in, and I'm like, well, yeah, all right, you're in that mess. Everybody told you, don't be in that mess. You chose to get in that mess. Enjoy your mess. What else could we have done? We told you ahead of time, don't do it. You went and did it. Enjoy your mess. And I'm so glad that when the Lord looks at us, he didn't do that, right? I'm so glad he didn't look at me and say, well, John, I told you not to take your life in this direction. You took it in that direction anyway, and now you get to live with it, right? He looked at me, and he looked at you, and he said, I'm going to be generous to you guys in a way that you don't deserve. And I'm going to give you myself. and I'm going to come to this earth, and I'm going to pay and to clean up the entire mess that you made. I'm going to pay for the whole thing with my blood, the blood of Christ being shed For the sin that you and I had committed. To clean up the mess you and I had committed. He said, I'm not going to be just generous to you with resources. I'm going to be generous to you with with myself. My very life. And that's the mindset that Christ demonstrated for us. But here's the thing. If you believe in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that he lives within you. So the same generous mindset, that same giving and sacrificial attitude that Christ displayed toward us, where he was willing to endure pain and scorn for our benefit, where he was willing to go from being outside of time to being inside of time for our benefit, his willingness to humble himself and serve us for our benefit. Is that not the same mindset that we should adopt as our own? It's what Christ has demonstrated to us. He's demonstrated that to you. He's demonstrated that to me. And that's ultimate generosity. Generosity. And so when you look at that, and when you even see Solomon talking about just the nature of generosity as this finishes up, again, my mind and my heart is ultimately pointed to Christ when I think about this concept of generosity. And I think the generous heart of Christ, we have the opportunity to let the generous heart of Christ be seen in our lives. As people experience you, as you sacrificially serve them, or bless them, or help them, parents, as your children observe your life, Children, as your parents observe your life, whatever direction you're pointing yourself in, church family, as we serve one another, let the generous heart of Christ be seen in you. And the amazing thing is, when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, it appears that the Lord delights in that. It appears that the Lord takes notice of that. And what I've noticed is that as we're generous... He smiles on that and gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to continue to reflect the heart of his son, Jesus Christ, in more opportunities like that. So here's what's going to happen. Over the course of this week, over the course of your life, you're going to have the opportunity to kind of develop a culture in your own thinking. The world's way is to trust transient things. The world's way is to put its hope in things that can be taken away or changed. The world's hope is to be selfish with blessing. But for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to have a brand new mind and to see with brand new eyes. And as Christ was giving, as he was sacrificial, as he was loving, as he was kind, we have the opportunity to reflect his heart as we interact with one another for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this that kind of brings us along this path of walking with Christ-empowered integrity to then focusing on this idea of Christ-glorifying generosity. Lord, you've been so kind to us. You've been so good to us. You bless us in ways that we don't deserve. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you've done that. And Lord, we pray that as you've blessed us, that we would be a blessing to others. There are people that you place in our path that we have the privilege to bless with our service, with our time, with our resources, with our words. And so Lord, we pray that others would be lifted up and not cut down as they interact with us, that they would see your generous heart at work within us. And that as they gain that glimpse of what you do in a person's life, that they would desire a, a relationship with you as well. Lord, we know that in many respects, one of the reasons that, that we even learned to value a relationship with you is because we actually saw what you were doing in the life of, of other people. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to reflect that and to be able to, to show others the work that you're doing in our lives as you change our minds, as you change our hearts. We pray that by your grace, that you would help us to be just people who put you first in all areas, realizing that we're living our lives open before you and rejoicing in the things that you do in and through us. So thank you, Lord, for the challenges that you've given to us from your word today, this idea of our integrity, inspiring generosity, and we pray that all that we do would ultimately bring glory to your name. We give you praise for all of this, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.